Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Jordan Harper. A little over a year ago, I picked up Jordan's novel, She Rides Shotgun, and basically didn't put it down until the next day when I finished it. Paper Moon meets Sons of Anarchy with terse, lean, visceral, muscular prose that puts you right into the frame of mind of his characters. She Rides Shotgun garnered Jordan the prestigious Edgar Award for Best First Novel by an American Author. A Missouri native who also worked as an ad man and rock critic, Jordan is a talented screenwriter as well. He wrote and produced shows like The Mentalist and Gotham, and also adapted his literary hero James Elroy's masterful novel, L.A. Confidential, for CBS. Despite an impressive, addicting pilot, the network passed. But you can read more about the series and Jordan's hopes for it in a great article I've linked to in this post. Additionally, he's written a book of hard-boiled, short noir fiction, Love and Other Wounds, that was first published as American Death Songs. I started following Jordan on Twitter after I read his work and we became e-pals when we were both separately invited onto Blake Howard's brilliant Michael Mann Obsessives Only podcast, One Heat Minute, and I'm thrilled to invite him on a watch with Jen. One of my favorite things about Jordan is that yes, he can be a hard ass, but he's also known to watch the piano on occasion and drop Fiona Apple lyrics into everyday conversation. Currently living in LA with his girlfriend Megan and one of the cutest dogs on planet Earth, Elroy, of course, I couldn't wait to bring him on to share his cool, unique taste with us all. So Jordan, it is so good to have you back. I mean, we talk so much, you're probably sick of me, but I'm Absolutely stoked to have you, my very first podcast guest, back live in virtual person and for everyone's listening pleasure right here on Skype. I'm so, so happy to be back. Oh, wonderful. So, so how's it going? I mean, that's a that's a broad question, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, as a writer, I, what I have learned is there are a lot of people right now who can't write at all. Yes. Um, and I'm very lucky in that I am not one of those people. Um, and I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm, I, I'm really saying, and I think this is the truth is that I, I've always been anxious about writing to a pretty extreme degree. And, uh, so yeah, there's a ton of anxiety right now and, and everybody's feeling weird. Um, but weirdly it's just like, oh, now the world's just vibrating at my frequency. So I'm just continuing on. Um, and so I'm, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I'm, I'm a little bored, a little stir crazy, um, mm-hmm. desperately want to, to be able to travel again. Um, suspect that's not going to happen for a really long time. Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm systematically rewatching the entirety of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, okay. which is, uh, I feel like maybe I actually talked about the last time I was here, but I'm not sure. No, it's MTV's yeah. The Challenge. It's MTV's The Challenge. Those are the two twin uh, okay. reality shows that I I say are better than, um, you know, prestige, prestige TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but RuPaul's Drag Race is, is is a phenomenal show, and I, I highly recommend it to literally everybody, but particularly creative people, because I don't think there's anybody more like aspirational to creative people than drag queens, uh, and and. and the amount of like different skills they have to have and the commitment it takes and the dedication to having like a, 
a clean and clear persona that also has to contain multitudes. It's a it's a really fascinating art form that uh, someday I hope to be invited onto a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. Okay. Um, but as a straight uh, male, it's not really my space, okay. you know. So it's not like I don't want to come in and like give these really strong opinions because like my opinions on drag race shouldn't count, but I still want to, uh, to talk about them. Um, okay. so maybe I'm just putting that out in the universe. If anybody yes, listening to this, please like, contact Jordan. He wants to be on. Yes. Yes. That's, that's and he's very I'm, respectful. He won't just dominate. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and yes. I will, I will acknowledge that I am the visitor to that space. Um, mm-hmm. but, I, but I'm a big fan. So I've been, that's been my comfort watching a lot recently. Um, and uh, and uh, I uh, I'm now on day and we don't have to get too far into this. But I'm now I think on day twelve of no Twitter. Yeah. And I uh, I really highly recommend it to anybody who thinks they have a problem. If if somebody is completely comfortable with their Twitter usage, then that's their business. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think God, this thing doesn't make me happy, um, yeah. I really recommend getting off. So there, yeah. that's how I'm doing. Yeah. Well, that's great. And am I allowed to bring up the fact that you finished your novel or the first draft? Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, well, it's, it's funny. Uh, yeah, it's a complicated thing because so I, I had been working on a novel for three years and mm-hmm. I, I quit it sometime, I think, in like, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so. And I started working that uh, started working on this new novel um which is right now called hollywood sickos um and i finished yes i finished the first draft of that novel and this was i guess maybe six weeks ago or so and you know when you finish the first draft of a novel you, you should set it aside mm-hmm. and uh, and let it and let it rest and while i was doing that i just kind of idly opened the file to the novel i'd worked on for three years uh the last king of california and uh was like you know what like it's not that bad. Um, it and, sounded and, awesome. I thank thought. you. Yes. Here, here's the other thing that I'm really, and this is, again, you talk about like the, the travails of creative people. Maybe it's not awesome. Maybe it's not good. But like lots of people publish bad books. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, why do I think I'll be like, who hasn't? Who is an yeah. author? Like, what author do you like um, who hasn't written at least one bad book or what director? You know, that's a, that's like one of those film Twitter questions. Who's never made a bad movie and it's probably the answer is only people who've only made a couple of movies mm-hmm. um so anyway i'm just saying uh, yes i did i finished the uh the something first tells me you're probably going to be the hardest on yourself too yeah and, I, yeah um you know that's an interesting like pivot i i was uh, we were saying off air I, I just recently did um our, our friend travis's uh, podcast increment vice about uh the film inherent vice Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said that to him, cause we, we all watch movies and we all talk about them together. Uh, and, uh, I feel like sometimes I'm the negative person. Um, you're shaking your head. No, but like, no. what I've learned is as a professional writer in television, part of the job is like critiquing constantly. Yeah. And that that's one of my pleasures in life is to like, kind of like, I, I think there's a lot of film Twitter in particular that wants to be very, very positive um can't be all the time yeah <laughs> happy all the time or there are people who just say everything sucks and those people suck too but yeah. like you know the idea of engaging with a film and, and and pointing out and talking about the problems in it 
Um, and I don't mean the political problems, which is getting to be a very boring conversation, but like the 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 mechanical problems of it or or things you could have done different or ways to imagine. To me, that's one of the real pleasures. Yeah. Uh, of watching movies and and but I do think it also comes from a place that I have to work on uh, um, not turning that inward so much. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because that is something I'm told all the time. Like, I know you love actors, Jen, but why are you so fucking hard on writing and writers? And I think it's because I hold it to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. It's a magic trick. I know how to do. I mean, I'm not saying I'm on their level or anything like that, but I'm fascinated by it. And I think thinking about it and working through what works and what doesn't is helpful for me creatively. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of relate to that completely. It's not that I'm like, I don't know, maybe I am holding writers to a higher standard, but I'm fascinated and I think it's helpful, actually. I, I agree, and I also think that, uh, and this is maybe a pivot um, into what we're talking about, that really good, uh, really great movies that you can't find the flaws in aren't always the best movies. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I really, uh, my friend uh, J. David Osborne has a podcast called Almost Good, uh, okay. where he they watch movies that are kind of in that weird borderland of like, is this movie good? Um, which can either be, and I, I talked about this with him a long time ago, the way I define it is like a very good director's weirdest effort or a not very great director's best effort. Oh, um, interesting. You know, and, and it's where people are kind of out on a limb. And I would rather, I mean, I, I know this isn't like that radical an idea, but I would rather watch somebody who's out on a limb Yes. Fucking up sometimes than, you know, very safe, very staid. Um, you know, it's a, you know, you've heard me a million times uh, rail on about prestige. And to me, mm-hmm. that's what prestige is a lot of the time is very safe, um, performing the tropes of quality without having any kind of uh, humanity. But uh, yeah. Yeah. One thing I'm loving about having everyone back is getting to dedicate a whole episode to a subject that's tailor-made to them. With Kristen Lopez, we shared embarrassing crush stories about our favorites. And with you, Mr. 90s crime movie buff, I wanted to talk about some of your favorite underrated movies. Like, if this was 20 years ago and we were walking into the video store, what are the films we could expect to find on a Jordan Recommends shelf? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I'm so happy to do it. And and I really feel like 90s crime is like the most neglected era. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe the, the era is after it, but those are so new we haven't defined it. But, um, you know, aside from the really obvious things, um, you know, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Miller's Crossing um, are, are two of my favorite. Uh, Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs being my favorite Tarantino movie. Um you know, uh, there is the movie Fresh, which I, is a movie I know that I, I had you watch recently. We all watched it. Um, that's yeah. one of my favorite movies. And, um, you know, I want to hear your take on it um, for the podcast. But uh, for people who don't know, Fresh is a movie, I think, from 1994. And it is about a 12-year-old uh, who lives in inner city New York. And he is a uh, very, very low-level drug dealer. Uh, working both for heroin dealers and crack dealers. And this young boy is also a um, chess prodigy 
thanks to his alcoholic father, played by Samuel L. Jackson. And uh, the movie kind of uh, builds this this really ornate world uh, and then kind of introduces a, a kind of uh, thriller-like plot that takes a long time to get started. But when it does, it turns into a Miller's Crossing slash Yojimbo slash Red Harvest uh, kind of story. And I just love it. It's one of my favorite movies. And I can't remember. I mean, I think you can get it on iTunes, but... Um, you I can mean, rent it, it. yeah, rent on like it, right? Amazon. I think Travis rented it there, yeah. And you know, so some of these movies are available like that. But what I find really interesting about '90s uh, crime films is, for the most part, they're not getting reissued. They're not getting these Blu-rays that movies from the '70s and even '80s are getting. Um, but uh, you know, so I feel like you talk about like an underrated film at this point. Fresh is nearly a forgotten film. It really is. I had not seen it since, like, well, if it came out in 94, that was probably 95 on video. I remember Roger Ebert just raving about it. He gave it a four-star review. It's one of my favorite things that Roger ever wrote, because he was talking about, and this was, like, before Dawson's Creek, but he was saying, in movies and on TV, children talk like they're adults or they're philosophers or scholars. And he said, this is a movie where the kids only speak when they have to especially the main character. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really good insight into the film and why it was a little bit different. And I loved the analogy with the chess and how it related to the rest of the movie. So, yeah, I thought it was really good. Great actors, Giancarlo Esposito. I think Samuel L. Jackson was so good because it's atypical Sam. He isn't like... It's kind of like, I love Sam, but he's sort of like Pacino, where they love to yell and they love to bellow. And this is a more internalized Samuel L. Jackson performance. Well, I really like it. It's very close in time to when Pulp Fiction came out. But my suspicion is that at least when this movie was shot, Pulp Fiction had not come out and Samuel L. Jackson hadn't um, turned into capital letter Samuel L. Jackson. And I. I do think that he is a, I mean, he's he's still amazing because Samuel L. Jackson, the character, is an amazing character. Yeah. But he has kind of hardened in his ways, like Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you when you get those um, weird pre-fame Samuel L. Jackson performances, it's always so exciting because they're so weird and out of left field. And the roles always seem so small. And you go, did you mm-hmm. not notice Um I mean, the other movie that's even older than this one that I really remember Samuel L. Jackson from is um, School Days, the Spike Lee movie, in which Samuel L. Jackson is in one scene um, where he is part of a group of of black men who are kind of like castigating. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. It's like Mm -hmm. uh, castigating Lawrence Fishburne for like kind of being um, like snotty college kids. Um, Mm -hmm. And... I mean, the thing about Samuel Jackson is, I mean, he was pretty, I don't know how old he was in 1994, but like well past the normal age of discovery for an actor. Very much. I remember him, I don't really remember him in school days, so it's making me want to go back. It's a but very I remember small part. Him, okay. In um, Jungle Fever with oh, yes. Halle Berry. Yeah, he was great in that as well. I think that was like 91 or something around there. Yeah. Right. Was his character named Gator? Am I making that up? That sounds right. I think uh, yeah. so. 
Um, no, he was great, and he was always great. And he's, you know, he's. It's a smaller role in, in Fresh as well. And um, yeah, Giancarlo Esposito, who who the world now knows as Chicken Man or Gus from Breaking mm-hmm. Bad. Uh, this along with better call right. Saul. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, I didn't even realize he 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 was on that show now. Um, I know. I'm behind on yes. better call Saul. <laughs> um, but he's so good in this, and uh, obviously in uh, Do the Right Thing. But like, I mean, I like yeah. Do the Right Things as a as a teenager, but I I like Fresh more, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, which again goes back to my argument that um. The quality of a movie is not related to the enjoyment of the movie, and nor should it be. Um, no. That obviously, do the right thing is a more meaningful film, a more important film, and it's a good film too. I mean, it's a it's a good yeah. film to watch. It's not like stuffy or boring. Uh, but but fresh is just a it's a it's a movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a movie, and that's what I love about a lot of you know these movies from the '90s is this feeling of, of just like, I don't know, somebody give these guys $10 million and, and let them go make a crime movie. And then they'd go off and make a crime movie. And, and that's getting so rare now. Most crime films now are made on micro budgets. Yes. Um, there, there's no market for it. Um, not to get too inside baseball, but my own experiences that I'm going through right now in Hollywood lead me to believe that there's not a huge international market for American crime. Um, obviously there is in France and, and probably in Germany too, but like, it's it's not a huge money maker overseas, which unfortunately is really starting to dictate what does and doesn't get made in Hollywood. Um, so you know these this is it's not a completely vanished genre the way that the legal thriller is a vanished genre, but it's getting there. You know it's it's um, and uh, particularly like so you know I gave you a couple of movies before this to talk about. Um, did did you watch The Salt and Sea? Yes, I had seen it when it was new, yeah. but all I remembered was D'Onofrio not having a nose. That was like right. the only thing, because it's so distinctive. And D'Onofrio is another one of those kind of over-the-top guys, but I just love him as well. So and, I you rewatched know, like, it. It's, it's okay. It's, yeah. it's not as good as I remember, so I do apologize uh, uh, for okay. that. Um, but... Uh, the other thing I was wrong about and uh, is that, you know, we're supposed to be talking about 90s movies and it's actually from 2002. Um, but I still hold that it is a 90s movie. Um, mm-hmm. And that is be- because of the way it, it and, and to its detriment, the way it, it wears its Tarantino influence on its sleeve. And, um, you know, to me, it, it's it's an attempt and I wouldn't say a wholly successful one to merge a more classic neo-noir with a Tarantino-like attitude. And I, I think it's jarring. Um, I don't it know is. how you felt. It is. I kind of thought it was going for a little Tarantino, but also a little bit of Aronofsky's uh, Requiem for a Dream. Mm. Yeah. Um, especially, yeah, or Train Spotting, even. Because the first part of the movie, you're basically just watching tweakers. Yeah. And then finally it develops into a thriller. Val Kilmer was so good in it, though. I would say that he is the standout. I mean, he's the main character. Um, but I think DJ Caruso got better. After that, he made two that I really liked. Uh, Disturbia, which I think is mm. highly underrated. It was the rear window update. It was so much fun. They took a professor to that, and they loved it. And also Eagle Eye, which... 
is kind of cheesy. It's a little Tom Clancy esque, but okay. it's so much fun. Yeah. Okay. I've seen neither of those, so. I'll, I'll oh, okay. Disturbia, I think, is your. It's for you. It's David Morse. So I okay. mean, right there, that's price admission. There you go. Um, yeah. yeah, I I agree that this is in that period where Val Kilmer was basically done as a Hollywood leading man. It still managed to squeeze out a couple of really good performances in movies that don't quite earn them. Um, you know, this Spartan would be the other one I would point to as a I movie. I love Spartan. Yeah. It's good. It's really good because of him. Um, yes. And it does have some of that, you know, David Mamet dialogue that even Mamet if the structure. <laughs> yeah, it's Mamet speak. There's a, I mean, uh, there's a part where in Spartan he plays the, you know, he's like a, a special forces guy and he's at a school and he asks this uh, soldier, he's like, what are you teaching those guys? And she says, I'm teaching them knife fighting, sir. He said, don't you teach them knife fighting. You teach them how to kill. That way, mm-hmm. when you meet somebody who's just studied knife fighting, they'll send their souls to hell. <laughs> God, that's a, that's a mouthful right there, but it, it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, you know, um, the Salton Sea, uh, it's, it is really two parts. And, and part of the, the symbolism of the two parts of the film are in uh, Val Kilmer's haircut, which I loved. Yeah, um, he was rocking it. Yeah, I really tried to get that haircut going, oh, which real. <laughs> oh, I did. I did. I remember sitting on my back. Need photos. And, oh, I don't know if any. <laughs> I was thinking rewatching the movie. It was like I could still, I could do that. Um, <laughs> but what's amazing about it is, so it's long on top and sort of short on the side, but not buzzed and. It, what, it really does function. It's a very smart haircut for the movie because when he is in tweaker mode, he spikes it up like a mohawk. And then when in the film is more in its neo-noir phases, he slicks it back and it looks more like your classic noir cut. So it's like an interesting, it's one of the most interesting choices in the movie. It's it's a fun movie. Um, I think some of the weird, like kind of what I would say, like the worst aspect of 90s crime films is the quirk, I think. Um, and... The problem yeah. with Tarantino as a filmmaker is we all praised him for the wrong thing, which is actually his most annoying quality, um, <laughs> is the dialogue and, and, and the quirk. Um, and that's what everybody took from it. And what so many people, when they think of 90s crime films, if you had to like poll a thousand people, like what is 90s crime films in a scene, they would name the Big Mac scene from Pulp Fiction. Pretty much. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree. And um, this movie is full of things like that. Some of them work really well, like Vincent D'Onofrio's whole performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically, like when you meet him, he's a he's a drug dealer who lives out in Palmdale in the high desert out here in California. And uh, when you meet him, he is recreating the JFK assassination that using was pigeons. The best. Yes. And he has a guy in the, the Oswald position. He's got a guy in a makeshift grassy knoll. And uh, and they just recreate the shoot. He has a Zapruder. He has a guy playing Zapruder mm-hmm. who has the right little, whatever you call that kind of handheld camera that Zapruder had. Um, and that part's really fun. And then you get to a scene where his uh, Val Kilmer's tweaker friends plan a heist of Bob Hope's stool oh, sample. Yeah. And it's yeah. done in that very right, like um, as much uh, train spotting as Tarantino, that like kind mm-hmm. of heightened winking meta narrative sort of way of doing it. And it's just like, oh, I'm glad this went away. I, yeah. I really am. 
Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the JFK scene because I was going to say one of the scenes I did like that was kind of inane was with Peter Sarsgaard, who's another great actor, in the car asking about JFK. He was our president and he was assassinated. Like, he didn't know the story. Yeah. And it's really kind of sad and sort of sweet at the end. He's like, you know, thank you for not laughing at me. Yeah. Yeah, when he wanted to know, and I thought that was really beautifully done. Um, what was I going to say? D'Onofrio, I always enjoy, too, on a personal level, because my great-uncle had a bar growing mm-hmm. up in Minnesota, and when they shot Feeling Minnesota, it was right next to it. Okay. And Feeling Minnesota is not a good movie, ladies and gentlemen, not at all. But they made the movie, and it was right next to the bar. And so the actors would, like, come over and hang out, or some of them did. And I guess the one they all loved the most was D'Onofrio, because he would just sit there and tell stories and talk to everybody and just be so open and great. And I was like, he was nice to my great uncle. He's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good story. Oh, that's good. It's always, I mean, we've talked about this, too. Whenever you hear that they're nice, it's so refreshing. I know. Um you know, to, to yeah, it's, and again, Salt and Sea is a movie you can find on iTunes, I think, is essentially it, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, we really should not be counting on iTunes to, like, maintain our, our library of films. And I guess, you know, if, 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 if you know, this is a film podcast, I, I, I don't know who out there is listening who, who has a bunch of money and wants to start a, a company that starts you know, saving these films and putting them on Blu-ray. Um, I really do. think, you know, and that leads me to the next movie, which I think you weren't able to find, which is State of Grace. Oh, no. I you found it? it used. Actually, it was like my last pre-COVID purchase was oh, really? at Half Price Books. And I found that and an old Point Break, like a collector's edition that I didn't have, mm-hmm. and The River Wild and State of Grace. So had to get that one. Um did you like it? Oh, yeah. I had seen that as well in the early 90s. And I remember enjoying it, but it was really fun to revisit it. It was great. I thought um, Gary Oldman, speaking of haircuts, the yes. most beautiful hair in that movie. It's he long. Really it's very, you know, Christian Slatery, kind of that that kind of thing, but prettier, I think. His hair was, you know, darker. But what cracks me up was Sean Penn is playing his friend who grew up with him in Hell's Kitchen and he returns and he's undercover and he walks on the set or in the scene I should say he's got like just yuppie central he looks like he just walked off of a GQ shoot with like Mm -hmm. the perfect flawless clothing and the hair and it just screams undercover cop like so loudly so it was kind of funny, the first several scenes. It was like, how the hell are these guys not seeing this guy just showing up? And I have a friend who is going back undercover next week, so he's getting his cool hair back. But uh-huh. anyway, but yeah, so uh, I had to send the photo, and I'm like, yeah, don't do this. <laughs> yeah, not at all. I think, I, don't, I can't say for sure that, that it is Gary Oldman's first role. Um, in America, I mean, I know. Oh, okay. Season. I don't know. But it's, again, I think it's the first thing I ever saw him in. And okay. it's a real star turn. It really um, is. And 
he I there was, you know, in the 90s, I think if you'd asked me who the best actor in the world was, I would have said Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah, he was up there. I mean, because you were talking about a guy who in the space of a very short amount of time uh, played um, Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. And Dra- yeah. And Dracula. Yeah. And that performance he gives in, in True Romance um, oh, of yeah. Drexel, the drug dealer. And it's and he's just he could do anything back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's uh, again, he did really amazing performances sometimes in, in not amazing movies like Very Dracula. True. Yeah. Uh, but in this, he is it's it's a fairly classic role, which is, I mean, the, the classic mad dog gangster. Yes. Um, with a self-destructive streak. But he's so good and electric. It's really a good movie. It, State of Grace is really a vanished film at this point. Um, it really is. Um, if you're not buying it used or I, I, I have, I think, a German Blu-ray of it um, because they haven't forgotten these movies over in Germany. Um just like Red Rock West, you can only get yeah. it in Germany. Yeah, crazy. My copy of The Last Seduction is a is a Germany. German. Wow. Um, which is another movie in this exact same vein of, of yep. amazing movies that are being forgotten. Um, the entirety of John Dahl's um, career. 90s career outside of Rounders is uh, is being mm-hmm. uh, forgotten. But um, State of Grace, not only, I mean, Sean Penn is, is really good in it. Um, yes. Oldman's amazing. Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Oh, really good. And Robin, uh, Robin Wright mm-hmm. uh, is great in this. And also yep. it's where, where she met Sean Penn. So mm-hmm. probably didn't work out for her in the long run. But like um, it's I really, <laughs> yeah, for a while it was good, I guess. But um, yeah, I really I it bums me out how hard these movies are to find. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is that, like, why there's this gap. I don't know if it's because these are a bunch of movies that came out in the heyday of DVD. And so they feel like there's not a Blu-ray market for them. Um, yeah. I don't know. I would love to know. And I would love to, if somebody wants to hire me to help curate, curate a, a 90s crime film Blu-ray reissue, I'll I'd be happy. some essays. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had this come up recently with a movie I still haven't seen, but I know you have, um, called The Hot Spot. Um, yes. Which I'm still, I, I need to dig up and probably just end up buying a used DVD. But um, our, our friend Travis really, really recommends it. And we had to call off a, a, a viewing party because mm-hmm. we couldn't find it. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, um, it's a real bummer. Um, another movie that I think on Blu-ray anyway, only exists in European editions, um, which is, this is why I have a, an all-code Blu-ray player, um, mm-hmm. is it, the movie Rush. Uh, you talk about a 90s crime film that is oh, really yeah. unfairly forgotten. Uh, Jason Patrick, Jennifer Jason Lee, based on the, the amazing novel by Kim Wozenkraft, who was an undercover cop who did get addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that's what they play. It's set in Texas in the 70s, and it is the tale of two undercover uh, cops um, in, in the really fun world of late 70s drug usage, which this is kind of an aside, I think is a very underdone uh, period as far as crime goes for how fun it is. <laughs> uh, when you're talking about like, and again, it's specifically like the kind of like white trash, long hair, listening to Leonard Skinner, doing crank, driving an El Camino, 
lambskin condom, snub nose 38, uh, <laughs> long hair. You put you know, some thought into this. Yeah, I, you need to write one. <laughs> I you know, I thought about it. And, you know, um, it's a, it really isn't a period that appeals to me a lot. I think the, the, the music is so much fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we recently watched um, After Dark, My Sweet, which led us to talk about Jason Patrick. And I, I do think that this, Rush, is Jason Patrick's best work. Um, he's great in it. Obviously, Jennifer Jason Lee is great. It's really weird how 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 amazing she is and how little it's gotten her yeah that is very true i i loved her i think she's one of our most phenomenal actors i mean georgia that's like a towering performance for sure um the movie where she played dorothy parker um, oh and the vicious circle yes for altman so good kansas city yeah Yeah. um and she was so amazing and also not she's also beautiful yes she is i feel like she was too smart for her beauty and it stopped her from getting oh you know the the pretty woman story about her uh was she supposed to do the film this is the story could not okay it could be uh uh, not a true story but this is the story i heard was that jennifer jason lee auditioned for pretty woman and they you know she came in and she gave this like really gritty true to life performance of a sex worker Mm mm-hmm and uh, is it Gary Marshall? Yeah, right, Gary Marshall. Yeah. Right? Uh, Gary Marshall said, come on, like, do it lighter. Do it, you know, have more fun. And she said, well, this is a woman who sucks cock for money. Yeah. And he says, yeah, but she hasn't been doing it that long. <laughs> um, and she didn't get the part. Uh, I'm sure that yeah. the, whatever the real story is isn't quite that uh, neat and clean. But um, I do think that, like, you know, she had in her debut, obviously, like, and, and Fast Times Ridgemont High, which I think was her debut. Um, I believe so. Yeah. And uh, anyway, that's it's getting that's getting far afield. Um, you know, talk about underrated crime movies from the '90s. Um, another kind of movie that doesn't even get made anymore uh, that I love is called American Me. Um, okay. Directed and starring Edward James Edward Olmos. Ja- I was gonna say that sounds familiar, but I don't remember much except Edward James almost. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's basically the history of the Mexican mafia. It's, it's uh, yes, based around right. uh, a, a real person who was for a long time, the leader of the Mexican mafia. And it's just, it's, I mean, it's called American me because it is this American story that we've completely forgotten about, um, you know, the prison gangs of the seventies and eighties and how they uh, took over the streets, particularly in California. Um, and uh, it's he's uh, you know uh, he's amazing in it, uh, mm-hmm. Edward James almost. And the other really great performance uh, in it is William Forsythe, who plays oh. his right hand man uh, again based on a true person, the uh, the person who ran the the Mexican mafia for a long time in this time period was a white guy uh, from Polish descent who grew up in East LA and talked like a you know a Mexican American gangbanger and. Uh, William Forsythe's um, performance in it is, I, he is, I mean, a, a, a real, really amazing actor who mm-hmm. uh, doesn't get used enough. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now. But uh, so I, I, I got to do two episodes of TV with William Forsythe um, mm-hmm. that I was really excited to do uh, when I was working on The Mentalist. And I got him talking about American Me. With oh, wow. Him. And he told me this story that he said, um, after that movie came out, the Mexican mafia was furious because uh, 
mm-hmm. Edward James Olmos's character is as a teenager um, raped in prison in the film, and mm-hmm. whether or not that happened to the guy it was based off of the, uh, the Mexican uh, mafia was furious that they would mm-hmm. portray their, their their leader as being uh, raped, and so he told me that Edward James almost carried a gun for a year. Um, I bet. And uh, this is all hearsay. I'm not making any statement of fact here. That eventually there had to be a cash payoff that he had to essentially make a a donation to to, uh, make the the problem go away. Um, But it's really, again, Edward James almost is a, is, he's a competent director more than a great one. And Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, it's not an amazing movie. It's not, you know, it would if Scorsese had gotten a hold of it, it would have been something maybe more special. But it's um, it's a really interesting story, and it's a story that, that like kind of centers this very important experience, particularly here in California. And it's also a pretty good crime drama, and uh, so I do I recommend that one as as well. Um, and uh, I, mean, I can I can keep naming uh, underrated '90s films, but there's one I do want to bring up with you because I know you don't like it, which is Killing Zoe. Oh, I thought you were going the other way and we were jumping into Light Sleeper. But let's go Killing Zoe. I did not like, no, I'm sorry. It's, no. it's just nihilistic, misogynistic garbage. It's one of those movies where you're like, somebody gave this guy money to make this shit. But that's that was my take anyway. But I know some people who enjoyed it. I enjoy it. It is trash. Yes. It is. And you know that I will... I, I love my trash. Um, it, it, the one thing that I will not make excuses for it is it is incredibly misogynistic. Yes. Um, Judy Delpy's character is treated horribly both by the characters of the film and by the film itself. Mm-hmm. It engages in the dumbest um, trope that you can ever do with a prostitute, which is having her fall in love with a client because during apparently sex. during sex, um, which is done in a much better film in True Romance, but it's still shameful. In True Romance. Uh, True Romance also, not to go into what is an excellent film, also does the horrible trope of, yes, she's a hooker, but not for very long. She, He's only yeah, her second true. trip. Yeah, um, I but, still uh, love that movie, but I will admit that, yeah, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> and the thing about but that aside, which I totally acknowledge, um, the film is trash, but it and it is nihilistic, but that's what I, I like about it, is I, okay. it is such a nasty little film. And I enjoy it on that level of like, God, this is nasty from, you know, it, it opens with that, that drug soaked rampage through Paris where it's just a bunch of people getting high in little rooms and really getting high um, and, and and just falling apart. I admire it for the fact that it wasn't shot in Paris like at all. Um, and it is much like and he what he was clearly going for. It was very clearly a tribute to Reservoir Dogs in that. 90% of that film or 70% of that film takes place in one location, which in Killing Zoe is a bank. Yep. Um, and um, the things I, I really like about the movie is I think Eric Stoltz is great in it. He is a really good actor. Yes. Um, I think that the, the, the soundtrack, I, I, for a while I was toying with doing a podcast about 90s crime films. Mm-hmm. And had I done it, the theme song was going to be the theme song from Killing Zoe, which is an exceedingly 90s crime theme uh, done in that kind of rave electronic style of the time. Uh, it's really fun. 
And then I'm going to, I want to double check this because I want to make sure I'm not talking uh, out of my ass here. Okay. Uh, but I believe that the other thing that you really have to hand killing Zoe is the squibs. And I don't know if we've ever had a chance to talk about the uh, my love of uh, practical squibs. No, but I agree with you. Practical squibs are the best, for sure. Actually, yeah, and I, 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 I absolutely loathe um, digital squibs. Um, yep. You know, I have a thing that I can't talk about that you know about. Um, mm mm-hmm. Um, where I, I literally say in, in, in the pitch document, like, we will not use digital squibs. I will. I would rather not do the shot. Like, okay. don't, you know what I mean? Like, it, yes. because the, the argument against Is that in the script? It sounds familiar. It, it might be in the script as well. Okay. Because I'm yeah, very yeah. serious about it that I think the best you can say about a digital squib is that you don't notice it. That it's just this little puff that happens and you don't yeah. clock it as, oh, that was a digital squib. But you don't clock it at all because... Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a really good practical squib is like a thing of beauty and you see it uh, mm-hmm. most famously, I think in, in, you know, RoboCop and, uh, total recall, I think is some of the best squib work, particularly RoboCop Godfather when, when Ed, when, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, the squib work in killing Zoe is done by Tom Savini. Oh, um, obviously the uh you know the the zombie and and horror special effects master mm-hmm. and you know that's the kind of attention to detail when it comes to the violence that i really appreciate and so while i agree with you that um the misogyny is is unexcusable uh, and so if somebody tells me they don't like it i go fair enough um it's a small part of the movie and the rest of it is really nasty um mm-hmm. and if, if that doesn't appeal to you then yes you should get but as a trashy film, and again, it's the kind of trash that I so desperately wish still got made. Um, it is, and again, a completely lost film. It again, it's available on iTunes. If you mm-hmm. buy it on iTunes, um, the the subtitles don't work, <laughs> um, and maybe thirty percent of the movie is in French. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I own it on iTunes, and when I rewatch it. The first time I like, because I hadn't seen it in, in a long time, I bought it on iTunes and I was watching it and the, you know, they come into the bank and now they are robbing a bank in Paris. So everybody is speaking French and there are no subtitles coming up. And I go, this is really artsy. Like, <laughs> this, is a, this is a bold choice to not subtitle any of the French because Eric Stoltz's character is our point of view character. He yeah. doesn't speak French. Therefore, this is a bold choice to not <laughs> have this be subtitled and then they get to a scene where somebody tells a like four minute joke in french and i go i remember this joke i know they subtitled this Mm -hmm. itunes just fucked up so again does this deserve a blu-ray release well yeah sure why not i mean if they can do it for like everything should get one i mean (laughs) vinegar syndrome exists and i love vinegar syndrome if vinegar syndrome exists then why not a a a a place dedicated to unearthing these uh this era of film that again crime movies were so big in the 90s they were and i loved them yes and uh and it's just i just really think that it's interesting that the whole genre has been reduced to essentially tarantino and heat at this point um no what i miss the most are erotic thrillers that's my garbage i will watch that like all the time i miss those so much they gave women stuff to do 
people to do. I mean, it was, you know, it's a great genre. There's always something going on. I love the double crosses, the triple ones. Sometimes they made no sense, but it was just, you know, final analysis. I mean, what the hell? But it's so much fun. Yeah. It, it is so much fun. And yes, that is, I think that is a, a perfectly with aligned with everything I'm saying. And I do love those movies. Uh, and not, I mean, I think other than like the body heat level, which is on a whole other level yeah. of quality for just like the nasty gut bucket ones, I will defend Basic Instinct as a mm-hmm. great movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, emphasis on the word movie. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but hey, I even enjoy Sliver. I mean, yeah, it's trash. I wish the ending was the original ending. What is the original ending? I believe what? they crash into a mountain or something. It's a different killer, too. Oh. And um, it made more sense. I know I looked it up the last time I watched it, but yeah. So it is available to read. I did not read the book, but anyway. No, I jumped I over what you were saying. Sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. I was just uh, how much I, I really will stand up for Basic Instinct as as kind of of what it's trying to do. It's the pinnacle. And yeah. what I would say to people who don't agree with that is watch a movie that is trying to be Basic Instinct and see how much worse it is than mm-hmm. Basic Instinct. That um, I mean, Michael Douglas is weird and gross, uh, <laughs> but Sharon Stone is, I mean, she is a movie star. She's amazing. Yes. And the the script is, I mean, I think when I say the script is on cocaine, I, I'm pretty sure that's literal. I think that it Joe was Esterhaus, Esterhaus. Yeah. 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 Um, was and uh, and it's Paul Verhoeven. So like, like that's art. It's just yeah. <laughs> it, it's so good. Um, that is cinema. No, I'm just kidding. That is well to get very film Twitter on everyone. That is yes, cinema. That, that is yeah. cinema. Um, but you know, there are so many of these movies that like. You know, I know you and I have talked about Light Sleeper before and what a great movie Light Sleeper is. Yes, that, which you can't find. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think I, I iTunes is a repository for these things, but it's not a good one. We should not put our faith in it either because they don't do great jobs. Um, they're very limited, particularly with controversial films. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. talking about another and maybe one of the greatest forgotten crime films of the 90s is Bad Lieutenant. Um, oh, Keitel, yeah. With Harvey Keitel, which, I mean, Harvey Keitel's performance in it is monstrous. It's so good. Um, and it's only available in the edited R-rated version, not the yeah. much superior NC-17 version, which there's, like, one really gross sexual assault that they cut out. And, okay, cool, I get that. But, like, there's a lot of other things cut out. Um, Harvey Keitel's penis is... Uh, a, we see that in the piano. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, this was that was this was the Harvey Keitel penis era. And, yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> kind of, we had the Ewan McGregor era too for a while. It was right. Like Ewan, put some clothes on. You're just getting the mail. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you never said that. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't. No, but I thought but, it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, and so it's iTunes has made some kind of call that it's only in their interest to have the edited version out. Not to be like a 90s kid about this, but in the 90s, we kind of had a problem with only having the edited version available. Uh, Blockbuster Man, come on. Yeah, that's right. That's why you found your little corner video store that would let you get the good stuff. Um, And so, again, like, can you watch Bad Lieutenant today? You can. Are you going to end up watching the edited version? Yeah. And also, we all just take it as a matter of faith that iTunes will be here in five years, Mm -hmm. ten years. That's not guaranteed. 
nor is it that they will re-up with the people who hold the rights to it. I actually own Lightsleeper through Voodoo, mm-hmm. and it's a full screen. It isn't the widescreen uh-huh. film. And I, yeah, I mean, I rewatched it. I just finished today, actually. I wrote oh, 2,600 right. words yesterday, and then uh, 400 more, so I wrote over 3,000 words about Willem Dafoe in, like, 24 hours. Oh, I saw that, yeah. Yes, and so... Um, I'm not even mentioning Light Sleeper, like barely in the in the article, because I have to stick with movies you can get on DVD because it's for Netflix. But you know, I gotta watch Light Sleeper again. I have To Live and Die in L.A. right next to my uh, player. Gotta watch that again. These are movies you can't get though, which well, sucks. Wasn't there recently a, a Live or Die in L.A. Blu-ray? Am I making that there up? There was uh, a Blu-ray. I mean. When I say that, I mean, it's not easily findable on streaming for people. And, you know, find that Blu-ray. It's a really good Blu-ray because Friedkin, if I remember right, supervised it. I think I I do have that. Yes. I mean, I love that movie. And is that technically, not that we can't discuss it, but is that that an 80s movie or a 90s movie? Oh, yeah, it was 85. 85, right. Um, No, I kind of love that movie. Have you ever read the book? No, is it good? The book is great. The book was written by an ex-Secret Service agent. Yeah. Um, and what's amazing... Can't think of his name. Petrovich or something like that? Um, and this is not something you'd expect from William Freakin. William Freakin or, or you know, somebody in the process really softened those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, William Peterson's character in the novel is... Worse. Worse. Much Whoa. worse. Way okay. dirtier. And, and maybe that's even just a function of... William Peterson kind of having like he cannot shake that kind of affable mm-hmm. yeah gregarious kind of Hollywood thing I mean I would say the same thing about another movie um, that I love Manhunter um, oh I love him in that yep I love him in that too it's it's not it's so different than the Will Graham of like um, mm-hmm. Hannibal the TV show there's like so little angst in William Peterson um, and uh, so I think that it's that kind of helps coat over how dirty he is. But it it really the book is very much worth reading, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I would recommend it. Um, yeah, He's I just, good, though. He can walk that tightrope between being like likable and being an asshole. He did that really well in Cousins, Joel Schumacher's oh. movie. I've yeah. never seen that. What it's is, not a crime that? film, but in it, uh, his wife, he's having an affair with this woman their spouses become friends and their spouses actually their mutual spouses fall in love and he has this great speech like midway through where he's like i don't care that she's having or she might be having sex with this person but they can't fall in love like that was the issue Mm -hmm. for him like so he's kind of got this i think he is actually like a used car salesman and he has that sort of thing going through the movie so i just love him i think he should have been a bigger star Maybe it was his personality that got in the way. I mean, there's stories, but but yeah. he's so good. Yeah, he is good, and, and, and I mean, don't don't cry for him. He has CSI money. That's um, true. He is on that show. I don't yeah. know. You know the procedurals better than I do. <laughs> I've like never even watched Law and Order all the way through. Really? Or I, Law and I Order mean, SVU? I just can't take those. No. Uh, fair enough. I mean, Law and Order. It's it's a. Uh, it's what uh, they call in the business a one-cell organism, which is the most successful kind of organism there is. Like, mm. um, it just it is what it is, what it is, what it is, and it's infinitely replicable. 
it, it, which is why it was on the air for many, so yeah. many is because it's just like it's such a pure standalone concept for a TV show. Um, anyway, not, not to talk about uh, that. I, I mean, we can again, I can name 90s movies all day. I'll, I'll name one more because I don't think we've ever talked about it. Um, and it's really uh, when I was a, a teenager, one of my favorite movies, uh, Freeway. Is with that Reese Keeper? Witherspoon? Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Reese Witherspoon, really trashy movie. Yes. Um, in which Reese Witherspoon plays um, a white trash girl um, in in L.A. or in, in the area around L.A. who um, loses her home uh, because her mother is busted on a uh, prostitution bust, and so she has to go try and make it to her grandmother's house. And on the way, she is intercepted by Keith or Sutherland, who you quickly realize is a serial killer. And it just kind of goes from there, but it's, yes, it's, it's a very, it shouldn't work. Um, Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, little red riding hood aspect of it is, um, cheesy, frankly. Um, but it's partially, uh, succeeds on the fact Kiefer Sutherland is great and creepy as a villain. Yes. Um, and Reese Witherspoon, again, um, she doesn't play roles like this anymore. I think people basically, forgotten that she can play these kind of roles but I she know. is so good as this uh this nasty mean white trash girl there's a mm-hmm. great chunk of the movie that takes place in a, in a girl's prison where they which they treat as being as nasty and dangerous as san quentin um mm-hmm. very very early performance from Brittany murphy um as another her like great talent yeah yeah another great talent who who is really really good in the movie and it's it's um Really, uh, it, again, it, it is the best work from a director who never reaches these heights again. While I will really, really recommend Freeway's movie, I will really, 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 really not recommend its sequel, Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. Um, <laughs> I did not see that one. Stars Natasha Lyonne um, okay. and is trauma level bad without any of the fun that makes trauma movies what they are. Um, okay. Uh, Natasha Leone plays a criminal who is also bulimic um, and and graphically so like Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like a lot of scenes of like vomiting and committing crimes and it's like one part you really want to try and like it because it's Natasha Leone and who doesn't Mm -hmm. love Natasha Leone Um, but it's just terrible and the other movies that the director did were all like called like Dahmer and (laughs) oh with Jeremy Renner yes yeah. The Dahmer. Uh, yes. Which I I've remember. Yeah. I remember when I went to interview him for Hurt Locker and I was t- telling my brother, like, oh, I'm talking to this guy tomorrow. What was he in? I'm like, well, before this, he was in this movie Dahmer. He's mm-hmm. like, call me as soon as you get in the car on your way home. <laughs> and I'm like, he was nothing like that. He's actually couldn't have been nicer. But but yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my Dahmer story. <laughs> but in, anyway, I, but I do again. And I. Again, I think I own a lot of these movies I own on iTunes because for a while that was just kind of like how I acquired movies before I realized, oh, no, we need to, like, try and preserve um, these things. And, like, you know, you shouldn't get rid of all your DVDs uh, the way that I did get rid of all my CDs. I got rid Um, of too many DVDs and CDs and now I regret it. I did, too. Yeah. Yeah. I do, too. And um, so I'm, I'm rebuilding and I'm... Just uh, trying to keep in mind that, like, yeah, like you said, these licenses could change. These uh, they could all go away. And this future that we were promised 
of everything you've ever wanted to watch is online is true-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And also, frankly, and again, I'm speaking as somebody inside the business, uh, when I say these streaming services are choking artists to death. Mm -hmm. Um, And TV and film people have it better than musicians do. And musicians really are absolutely choked to death by these streaming services. And look, if you buy a Blu-ray, still a big chunk of the money is going to the studio and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. But at least some of it's going to get back to the artist. Nowadays on streaming, essentially, it's not. Essentially, um, none of that money is filtering its way back to the artists. And um, that's a real bummer. Like, you you want your money to go to the people who create the stuff that you love, Mm -hmm. not not the people who figured out the internet algorithm to, like, help you find those things with terrible search engines. Because they all Mm -hmm. have terrible search engines. Um, But... um, yeah, I know. What else do you want to talk about? I think that's great. You are definitely coming back. We can do another underrated with Jordan. I could have just talked to you. This could have been all afternoon. So I'm I really you, appreciate I, it. I have my 90s crime film list open here that I made on Letterboxd, and we didn't get halfway through it. So Okay. Um, so there's more to talk about anytime. Um, someday, yes. if I have more free time and a place to do it, I might actually just make the podcast I want to make, which would be to spend an hour or so talking about each one of these movies in the detail I think it deserves. But until then, have me on. Always a pleasure. Anytime. You're welcome back. It's always fun to talk to you. I appreciate this. Okay. Just to recap, my amazing guest, Jordan Harper, wants these three main things. One, to be a guest on a podcast dedicated to RuPaul's Drag Race. Two, to curate a crime movie collection for a boutique DVD or Blu-ray firm, for which I would be happy to write a few essays for some of my favorite releases. And three, for the crime genre to return to its full 90s glory once again. I greatly enjoyed my chat with Jordan, but I'm kicking myself for not mentioning one important link from the Salton Sea to State of Grace. Namely, that Sultan star Vincent D'Onofrio is, as of this summer, the brand new father-in-law of State of Grace actor Mr. Sean Penn. That's right, Penn, who is just one year younger than D'Onofrio, recently married D'Onofrio's beautiful daughter. But back to the movies. You heard the man. Jordan has plenty of cool, underrated crime films to share with us. And because I love catering special topics episodes with returning guests and would enjoy having him back, I am thinking this might be a fun topic for an ongoing Watch With Jen miniseries. What do you think? Are you guys cool with me sprinkling in some more crime movie episodes with Jordan? Sound off in the comments on Patreon where you can support the show for as little as a dollar per month. You can also reach me on social media at Film Intuition, or feel free to hit me up via email at contact at filmintuition.com with your thoughts. In any case, I want to thank you so much for listening. There are more engrossing episodes to come, so stay tuned or subscribe to Watch With Jen wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, stay safe, take care, and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.